Welcome to Wisdom's Echo, Origin Gate's daily podcast. If you love Wisdom's Echo and want to invest in the lives of our speakers, head to patreon.com slash wisdoms echo, where for as little as $2 a month, you can help us deliver the same impactful content you enjoy. Hello folks, it's good to be with you. This is Grant Mahoney. Um, What I wanted to speak on this morning is being fruitful in the time of affliction. And I guess one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, have you ever wondered why do we do what we do? You know, as human beings, it's isn't it interesting when we're given the same conditions, we act differently. When we are presented with the same opportunities, we make different choices. It's quite an interesting thing. I mean, you think about it, I even look at my own two children and... Um, You know, they've got the same parents raised in the same environment, have the same values. How do they turn out so differently? I mean, just look at your own families. Why is possibly one serving the Lord and the other isn't? Or, or, you know, one's in prison and the other's an amazing business person, you know? Even when you look at your school days, when you're sitting in a classroom, um, all these different kids in a classroom getting the same edu- the same teaching, the same thing, yet some will get an A and others will get an F. Yet they were in the same environment, had the same teacher, asked the same questions, all this kind of stuff. And so why can't we all produce the same results is basically one of the questions we have. Why can't we all be billionaires, you know? And there's a couple of things that we need to look at. I mean, what is the environment that we're nurtured in? And in other words, what do people think and do? So before you and I were born into this world, this world was already functioning and there were already ideas in motion and things were happening and we were thrust into a world already in motion. And we came to meet, I guess, people's ideas and we came to think that those who were there before us knew better than us. And so they become the first source of our information. And then we've got knowledge. And most times knowledge is literally comes from the environment that you're in. And then the next thing we have is experience. So your environment has information and you acquire some knowledge and then you go through some stuff yourself. We all walk through some things. And out of that, we begin to develop our belief systems. Um, like, I mean, to give you an example, if you were born into an environment where your parents are serving the Lord, you're probably going to attend Sunday school and you're going to learn different things about the Lord. And then one day you have a car accident and Yahweh miraculously saves your life. And so now you've moved from knowledge to literally belief in him and then beliefs. And these are the things that we accept as being true. So when people believe something, they have come to the point of accepting that it's true. It's no longer knowledge. It's truth. And so when people accept a belief, they've accepted something that's true. The next thing you have is values. And these are the things that you either treasure or that you consider very important. And it's out of your values that you develop a sense of appreciation, which literally then should direct the way you you determine your choices in other words if you if you're a person who values other people's well-being you'll probably make a career choice along those lines in other words a counselor a nurse or something like that and then we get to our choices and out of our choices you've got actions well what do we do with them so what you do 
does not originate from nowhere. This is the thing that we've got to understand. There are all these sequences, all these processes that lead to what you do. So if you want to start changing what you do, you have to start literally backing up to the choices, go back to the values, go back to the beliefs, go back to your experiences and examine those, examine your knowledge base, and you have to examine your environment. Um, I mean, how many of you have ever been in like a meeting or even on, on these, on, on the podcast, and you listen to them and the word that's been shared has really challenged you and you leave feeling inspired to change everything, you know, change everything in yourself and all this kind of stuff. And it only lasts for a little while because you find it too hard to accomplish. I mean, I think we've all been there, if we're honest. And you find it too hard simply because you, you cannot just wake up one day and change your actions. It's not that simple. Um, you know, try changing your temper in a day. Try changing your impatience in a day. It just doesn't happen. We've got a whole bunch of all this rewiring and reprogramming to do first. And so if you cannot change all of these things that I've just mentioned, you cannot change the last one, which is your action. And action is a product of the first six things that I men mentioned. And, and that's why personal change is so difficult. And it's easy to be inspired and remain the same. And I think so many of us are like that. So many believers are like that. The first six that I mentioned is what I call your expectations. You know, and your expectations determine what you receive in life. You cannot receive what you don't expect. And that's why expectation is such a powerful thing. And your expectations are literally created by your environment, your knowledge, your beliefs, your values, your choices, and all of the ex all of the experiences create what you expect in life. You know, someone can be born and in a tiny village or, or whatever with very simple everything around him, and what they expect in life is simple. They just expect is I'm going to get married and I'm going to have children, and I'm going to work in a nine-to-five job and then die. And, and that's his real ex, ex, um, expectation. And the thing is this, is that if you offer that person alternatives, they won't even choose them because they've been so conditioned to expect what they have. And when you offer those alternatives, they just won't even take them. And so... I want to look at the scripture briefly to just show you this. So let's go to Genesis 41, verse 49 to 52. It says, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So let's have a little brief look at Joseph's background. We know that he went through a lot of difficulties. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was, you know, literally blackmailed by his boss's wife. He was mistreated in prison. And finally he gets out of prison and he becomes a very significant leader in Egypt. And in the time of his significance, when he gets out of prison, he was restored to a leadership position where he was literally solely responsible for setting up a system of, for gathering grain for Egypt. So much uh, was happening in his life. And in the process, he has these two sons and he names them Manasseh and Ephraim. And 
these days we give children names and we hope they will live according to them. And it's so important how we name our children. Like, for instance, my son Liam, that means determined protector. My wife Samantha means a listener. Um, and, and just interesting, you know, we, we've got to be so careful when we name our children. And in those days, the name of the children told the story of their fathers. And so if you look through the Bible, you will find that most of the time, the name of the children have reflected the experiences of the parents. So if someone went through pain before they delivered a son, they called him Jabez, for instance, because that's his story. It's not the son's story, but it's a story of his mother. And so when Joseph gives birth to his two sons, he names given to them with the story of his life. The first one was Manasseh, which means deliverance from my toil and painful memories. And the second one was Ephraim, which means fruitful in the time and place of affliction. So Joseph, his life could be summarized in those two experiences. God delivered me from the toil and the pain of my past, and God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's literally what that is saying. And so that was Joseph's understanding of his life. So basically Joseph says, this is his, his um, ethos. If I'm going to be fruitful, I have to be delivered from my past, from my pain, from painful memories, because if I'm not delivered from my past, I cannot be fruitful. That was the logic of Joseph. Now watch this in Genesis 48, 9 to 20. They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I have never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom... My fathers, Abraham, Isaac, walked faithfully. The God who has been my shepherd all my life in this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. And so he does this thing where he crosses the hands. Now, when you do the blessing, the right hand is the hand of the of um, blessing and the left hand is the hand of lesser blessing so when you did the blessing two things could be transferred the the one was the, which is the blessing and this is the right to inherit physical wealth and power whether it's political or economic and a blessing was always given to the eldest as a token of their significant position in the family the second thing is the birthright and that that's an in, in an inherent place of spiritual head of the family was you know the person who receives the birthright becomes the high priest of the family the protector of the family power and prestige and all this kind of stuff is associated with birthright no wonder Esau wanted to kill Jacob when he stole his birthright then it carries on in verse 17 when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head he was displeased so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head Joseph said to him no my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But the father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. 
He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. So basically, as I wrap this up, um, Jacob set in, or Israel set a new order in place. Joseph had set an order which Manasseh must come before Ephraim, before you can experience Ephraim. And Joseph looked, and, and Jacob or Israel looked at that order that Joseph had said, and so no, and, and basically said, no, that, that's not how this is going to be. Ephraim must come first before you can experience Manasseh. And he says it in this way. And, you know, God will make you fruitful in the times of affliction before you experience deliverance from your toils and pain of your past. And so there's these two systems of logic that literally prevail in, in the world right now. In the mind of Joseph, if I have a negative past and I've not been delivered from this negative past, my, my life can never be fruitful. But then the Jacob mindset says, you can still have a negative past and God can make you fruitful. And out of your fruitfulness, you will become free from your past. And what is the implication of this? Because there are two expectations for life and two paradigms which impact how people respond to the difficulties of their lives. The first paradigm, which says expect God to bring deliverance before expecting experience a fruitful life. And the second, become fruitful in times of adversity in order to experience God's deliverance. And people literally lead their lives by these two paradigms or these two worldviews. So give you a good example here. Let's just bring this down to earth. Because so a Manasseh would say, if God prospers me, I'll tithe faithfully. Have you heard that? Many people have said that. But an Ephraim mindset says, I will tithe faithfully for God to prosper me. A Manasseh mindset says, if God gives me a husband or a wife, I'll have a fulfilled life. Ephraim mindset says, I'm going to have a fulfilled life and trust God for a husband or wife to share my fulfilled life with me. Manasseh mindset says, if I'm well paid, I'll work hard. And Ephraim mindset says, I'll work hard and earn a better pay. So there's these two ways of thinking. And I really believe we need to shift from the Manasseh mindset to the Ephraim mindset. And so I just want to bless you and hope that you have an amazing week. Blessings. Thank you.